Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. bonus episode, we're going to have a conversation with Brian Rabe of Low Oxygen Brewing. You might remember him from a past episode where we talked about the low oxygen brewing method. Well, today for this bonus episode, we had a really great conversation and discussed a lot of things about his amazing brewery as well as the low oxygen method today on Homebrewing DIY. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on the show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the crucin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. 
drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruising. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look. I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing, gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're talking with Brian Rabe of Low Oxygen Brewing. This is a bonus episode for all of our patron members, and all I have to say is thank you so much for your support. Without you, this show can't come to you week after week. I, this is also one of my monthly Homebrewers Roundtable events, and Brian was really nice to come and attend. Uh, sadly, we didn't really have anybody show up to that event, but I still turned it into a great conversation where I interviewed Brian for the event. We also got really detailed in this show and discussed his brewery in detail. And so towards the end of the interview, there's a portion where he shared his screen with me and you're not really going to see that very well in an audio format. But that being said, if you're a patron right now, I will send a link to the video discussion we had. So if you want to go towards the end of that, or really just watch the entire video, you can do so and just go to the end of the video and you'll see his screen share and a walkthrough of his entire brewery. It's pretty amazing. It's probably one of the most epic home breweries I've ever seen in real life, even though it was on video. Well, that being said, once again, thank you very much for your support. And so I will jump right into this week's episode where we talk to Brian Rabe of Low Oxygen Brewing. Awesome. So today I have Brian Rabe joining us for our Homebrewers Roundtable, where we're going to discuss his real history and how he's got to where he is brewing and his community that he's built around low oxygen brewing. Um, I'm going to ask him a ton of questions about his brewery setup because uh, it's probably one of the most impressive homebrew setups you will actually see out there in the wild. And, uh, 
Brian, welcome, well, welcome to uh, the Homebrewers Roundtable. Thanks. Thanks for having me back again. Awesome. Why, why don't we just start off by having you tell us a bit of uh, history of how you kind of uh, started brewing and how you kind of got to, I, I would say, the level of brewing you are today. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> started brewing in 2000 uh, in college, uh, just and uh, it was actually, um, it was never on my radar, not, not so whatsoever. Uh, my father was gifted a Mr. Beer kit for his, one of his birthdays, and he was going to throw it away. I was going to school for engineering at the time, and uh, I was like, well, this could be fun, you know, there's a process, you know, it's, it's could be fun, and then you could drink it potentially and hopefully not die. And so um, I just brewed that first kit with the Mr. Beer, and uh, I really enjoyed the process and uh, the product, not so much, uh, especially those first batches. Um <laughs> I was traditionally, uh, we'll just call it a, a light lager drinker, and I still am today uh, most of the time. Uh, but uh, those first batches were, uh, were a little different. But I loved the process, and, and I thought it was so cool to be able to, you know, make something. I, I'm a handy person. I like to build and do, do those kind of things anyways. So I thought it was super cool. So that... Uh, Anyone who knows me knows I have the type of personality that um, I don't really tiptoe around. I just jump in. And so after two batches of Mr. Beer, uh, local to me is Midwest and Northern Brewer, two of the biggest, you know, homebrew supply shops around. And so I just walked into Northern Brewer or Midwest Supplies one day and, and bought what I could, which was, you know, an ale pail and, you know, some other stuff. And I said right away, I want to make loggers. So I walked out of there probably spending $400. I had temperature, you know, like uh, the Johnson temperature controller and everything. And so I just started brewing. And uh, fast forward today, um, I have brewed probably close to 1700 batches of beer and that goes from the two gallon mr beer or one gallon mr beer all the way up to 60 barrels and uh really enjoy the whole brewing process about five six years ago that's when i started looking into more of the professional brewing methods um and uh learning about, you know, how the professionals, the large professionals brew beer. And um, that's kind of what took me down this low oxygen path. And, uh, and that, that really interested me. Again, I'm an engineer by trade. So all that kind of methods, procedures, process um, really intrigued me. I always have loved science. So all that stuff really um, gets me going as it were. So Ended up getting some schooling from uh, from TUM Munich, which is a very prestigious brewing school in Germany. Ended up getting some schooling from the International Brewing and Distilling uh, University over in England or the UK. And so I just continued with that and made a whole bunch of industry contacts and then started doing some consulting here in the last few years. So, so um, that's where we're at. Awesome. You, you've done a, a consulting for 
basically from a from a small like hey i'm doing a startup i'm going to do a five barrel system all the way up to you know 50 60 100 barrel systems right yep yeah and i've actually designed some systems uh i worked with some people over in bulgaria i designed a bulgarian uh like a 60 hectoliter brew house from scratch and stuff like that. So I really enjoy that. I've worked with stout tanks and kettles to develop the low oxygen brewing line of vessels. So those are all my designs and they're selling those. And, and so I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. When, when you look at like the types of beers they're making, like, for example, let's, let's take this Bulgarian brewery that you designed for what, what styles are they making? Are they mainly making lagers? Are they making all styles of beer? What, what, like when, yeah. when a brewery comes to you, what, what are they trying to do? Yeah. So a lot of it is, is process enhancement and shelf life and beer stability. That's, that's really kind of where my focus is. And so we try and implement processes and procedures a lot of times using existing equipment because these breweries have already bought this equipment and we're trying to either retrofit or trying to rework the system and, and, and try and, you know, get as much as we can out of it. Um, in the in the case of the Bulgarian brewery, excuse me, um, they are going to be a lager brewery. So um, we we set them up horizontal lagering tanks and the whole nine and and a beautiful German made system. That's awesome. And and then like for example, let's say I have a traditional style of brewery. This isn't at a homebrew scale, but the, a traditional style brewery. What are some of the things that I would do to retrofit? fit my style. So like, let's say I'm a, a five or 10 barrel system. I I'm not going to have a lot of the, uh, you know, I'm not going to be pumping wort from one room to another and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, what are some of the things you would do to retrofit it to kind of get it some low oxygen, uh, methods in there? Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, I'm in Minnesota and I've worked with a, quite a number of Minnesota breweries, smaller breweries, we'll say, uh, under 20 barrels. Um, with the bulk of them being probably about 10. And so um, a lot of them are traditional, I don't want to say traditional, but traditional American brew houses, non-insulated mash ton. You have a, you know, a hot liquor tank, um, a three vessel setup, you know, basically made for single infusion mashing. And so some of these breweries, you know, make, want to start making lagers. So we start uh, trying to implement, you know, step mashing. And step mashing is, is kind of difficult when you have a non-insulated ton and you don't have that kind of stuff. So, so like in that instance, we, uh, we use their, their heat exchanger. And I use their heat exchanger basically as a perm system where we, we and, and it was just, it, we basically just treated it like a, a very large homebrew system because basically it is at that point. So heated some water in the boil kettle, ran that through one side of the heat exchanger, recirculated the mash through the other, and then we were able to step mash and dough in and do that kind of stuff. Um, there's, you know, deoxygenation of, of hot liquor tanks and stuff like that we work on. Uh, you can use uh, like a stripping gas, like CO2, and push that through a carbonation stone as you recirculate uh, water through the hot liquor tank. You can do the yeast deoxygenation, or you just add a little bit of yeast and sugar, <clears throat> and that takes the oxygen out of the water. So there's a bunch of different things, but a lot of things, what we're trying to do, what they come to me for, a lot of these breweries aren't lager breweries. They're, 
you know, IPA breweries and, and just breweries that are looking to really up their game when it comes to the finished product and shelf stability and, and just, you know, end product stability. And so we just implement, you know, um, we make sure that the tubing has nice gentle bends. We don't want to put the mash rakes on too much to cause, you know, shear stresses. Very gentle on the VFD. The pumps are on VFDs, so you can actually, you know, um, tune the RPMs. And so you're not really putting that work through a lot of shear stress from the pump or from the mash rakes or um, uh, in the boil kettle, make sure we're not boiling too hard and that kind of stuff. So that's all. That's awesome. And, you know, for me, when it comes to the homebrew scale, right, obviously uh, low oxygen is something that, uh, you know, I, one thing that I think you opened my eyes to on our last conversation was that uh, I thought and, and this was just totally me thinking uneducated wise that like, Hey, if I wanted to go low oxygen on the hot side, I was going to have to buy an electric system. I was going to have to do a lot, but in all reality, in our conversation, you said there's a lot of steps that you can do as somebody who's doing a brew in a bag batch that can actually put some, some good practices in place to actually get a low oxygen hot side. Um, specifically when it comes to things like strike water and those types of things, can we kind of maybe go through that again? If we were talking about like, I, I, let's say I'm a beginning brewer, but I, I'm the type of brewer that really wants to, you know, just like you, goes from, Hey, I just did a couple of, uh, extract kits and now I want to just, let's go to loggers. Right. Um, what are, what are some tics, tips or tricks you would give to a beginner that says, Hey, if I'm going straight from, uh, maybe I've done a couple of extract batches. I actually want to brew a logger as my next batch. Cause they're, we all know those guys exist. I'm sure you talk to them all the time. <laughs> uh, what what would be the piece, the biggest piece of advice you would say to make a good logger? And we don't need it to be your logger because uh, I definitely see. I haven't tried it, but I've seen pictures, and your stuff is probably the clearest logger I've ever seen. So, uh, let let what would be those trips? What would be those tricks you would give somebody? Yeah. So you know what I would say, especially to someone just starting out, or or someone who wants to really get an understanding. I would actually not recommend to do the hot side right away. I would really recommend to get your cold side rock solid. And, and, and the nice thing about the cold side is everybody's kind of seems to agree on that, right? So cold side air oxidation and that kind of stuff. And so we'd really, I would really drive home to get that right. So what does that mean? That means we're not going to force carbonate. We're going to allow the beer to carbonate itself. And if we're going to do the, the gold standard, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out when that beer has three to four gravity points left. We're going to push that um, from the fermenter to a, a purged keg and then allow that to self-carbonate in that keg. And that would take care of any oxygen that it is picked up from point A to point B to get in the keg. And then you're not using CO2, um, but just to push. And so you're, you're conserving on CO2. Your beer is going to be super duper fresh, the freshest it can be. And so once we get those steps, once we get the cold side down, then I think we can really focus on the hot. And the reason why I say that is because if you don't have your cold side locked in, you're probably not going to see many benefits from the hot because you're going to lose it on the cold. So I think we really want to drive home that 
packaging and fermenting are really paramount in this. And so once we are able to consistently spoon beer, get the proper carbonations and, and that kind of stuff, then I would say let's move on to the hot side because that's, you know, once you get your foundation in, then you can start picking up these other pieces. And so uh, I would say we would start by deoxygenating your strike water, which I've done extensive testing on. And I really think that the yeast deoxygenation method is super duper easy for folks. Um, it, it's, it's super simple. It doesn't really require any more equipment. It doesn't require much time, extra time. You know, if you do the pre-boil and cool, you have to, you know, depending on whatever your burner is or your element, you're going to have to wait for that batch to go to boil and then you're going to have to cool it back down. Whereas with the yeast, you can just add one gram per gallon of dry bread yeast and one gram per gallon of sugar, table sugar. And it'll in about 30 minutes, you'll have zero, zero oxygen water. And, and most people, what they do is they'll do it the night before. Let's say you prep your ingredients the night before, you get your strike water in your kettle, you get your kettle all ready so that when you wake up in the morning, you can turn on the burner and start heating to strike. Um, that's one of the ways a lot of people use the yeasty oxygenation. I've done tests with DO meters and whatnot, and that yeasty oxygenation will hold for four plus days. Wow. And so and so people overnight, it works great for people. They'll wake up in the morning. They'll add a little bit of metabisulfite uh, antioxidant to the strike water, heat the strike water, and then just strike right and dough right in. So you're really not adding any additional time frame onto your brew day. Uh, other people will just get the water ready. Let's say it's brew morning and, you know, the first thing you do is you get your strike water ready and, and then you start assembling other things like grain and whatnot takes about 30 minutes by the time you get all your grain you know measured and crushed and your water salts and your hops or whatever your process is you you can start heating your kettle so in that instance it may add you know 30 minutes onto your brew day but um that's going to be your biggest bang for the buck is that probably that yeast deoxygenation with a little bit of uh metabisulfite camden um it's readily available at all the homebrew stores uh you know to dechlorinate uh, water as well. And so um, we'll do that. We'll find some kind of a floating cap, you know, whether it be a cheap Amazon pizza tin or something like that. And basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to cover, you know, a large amount of the surface and there's surface diffusion of the oxygen and that's just natural. It's the laws of partial pressure. So um, we're trying to limit that and then we're just gonna, we're gonna underlet, we're gonna add the water from the bottom, the deoxygenated water with a little bit of sulfites. We're gonna underlet that. And so what that is doing when you underlet is you, you have a, a flood of deoxygenated and sulfited water. And what you're doing is you're slowly pushing through that grain bed, any residual oxygen that's, that's left in those kernels because there's quite a bit that's gonna be absorbed and absorbed on the husks and all that stuff. So you take that 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 sulfided water and you just kind of easily, gently push that oxygen out and then you'll give it a little stir, nice and easy, put the cap on and you're, you're off to normal brewing at that point. 
Yeah. And, and so for example, at that point, you're now just doing a, a standard mash. You're going to then do, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, sparge or whatever you're going to do for your normal process. And then a boil when you're in the boil, obviously the, the, the boil is agitating the water, right? Even with a cap on it, there is some agitation there. Uh, is it a, a low, slow boil is what you're looking for here versus a really aggressive oil? Yeah. So, um, so when you're boiling, we don't recommend to have a cap on just so. Yeah, that's that's DMS. We take it off, right? Yeah, but we do on the uh, recommend that you use some kind of a lid and then partially crack it. And the reason why that is, is because much like when you put a lid on a pot of water to get to a boil, it's going to boil faster because less steam is and heat is escaping as you're heating. The other thing for that is um, you use the wart encounters less thermal stress because your burner doesn't need to be as high to maintain that boil. And thermal stress is a big one. Um, that's the darkening of wart. So if you're seeing, you know, large darkening of wart, if your wart goes into the boil kettle at, you know, 4 SRM and it comes out at 6 SRM, you have way too much heat load on that beer. And what you're losing is um, flavor and coagulable nitrogen. Coagulable nitrogen is going to help with yeast health and also foam. So it's kind of a... You don't want to boil too hard and you don't want to boil not hard enough. The, the nice thing about the homebrew systems is that generally they're so small, so their surface to volume ratio is quite high. And so you really can't, if you're boiling, and, and of course boiling temps depend on elevation and you know your demographics. So um, if you are getting a nice, gentle, what you, what you want to see is if you're looking at your wart, you do want to see a nice little convection of protein a break going on, but you don't need leaps and bounds like a volcano erupting. Just nice and gentle, and really all you're doing is, is you know, creating that convection. You want to get a decent boil there because that's going uh, to start precipitating proteins, and you, you don't want those in your beer anyways. And so the easy thing is we say to target eight to less than 10% boil off, um, but probably six to six to eight would probably be ideal. Okay. So you, you could almost kind of factor in how hard you're boiling based on the amount of boil off that you're targeting. So like, for example, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I I've been, uh, I've been brewing randomly. My neighbor, uh, he has a, uh, mash and boil system, right? Uh, he, he got it from another guy in our homebrew club who decided to quit. And he was like, and he doesn't like it. He's, he's trying to, you know, build his own 10 gallon, uh, Herm system right now. And so I've been like, Hey man, I'll take that little electric brewery. I'll just come over and brew with it. And he lives across the street and I've been borrowing it. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, propane burner with a kaggle kind of guy. Right. Um, but I really like the convenience of electric. Uh, it's nice to just be able to go plug it in and, uh, you know, set my strike water to a certain temperature and, and walk away from it. I mean, it's amazing to be able to walk away from it. Uh, but the big thing for me is that it's 120 
and I'm doing a five gallon batch out of it. And that's, you know, pretty underpowered for, it and it takes a while to get there. And I feel like that is the type of boil I'm getting with that system. Uh, you know, with my kegel and my burner, we're say, like, I'll start with eight gallons of strike water and end with five and a half gallons. So obviously I'm getting like 30 or 40% of boil off, uh, with this, with this electric system, I'm getting less than a gallon of boil off. And uh, I've noticed a, a couple of things with it. A, my fermentability is a lot better. It, it, I, I've actually felt that just with the amount of boil off I've had is that my, uh, my, my fermentability is actually a bit more efficient than what I was getting when I was boiling a lot harder. And, uh, I feel like my, the dryness, cause I, I, I prefer to make a lot of dry beers. I feel like my dryness is a little cleaner. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a subtle thing. Um, but it's, and it, and it's a small improvement, but it, you know, when you're drinking your own beer all the time, you start to notice things. Uh, I'm sure you know this better than anybody. Uh, but it, it is something where I feel that, uh, definitely the amount of my boil off rate has really changed the outcome of my final beer. And it's the only thing that I could actually explain what's changed. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, the, the boil is a big deal. Um, you know, a lot of things happen in the boil and, and there can be non-enzymatic oxidation because boiling water boiling liquid doesn't hold any oxygen, but you're still driving different reactions in that boil. And so there's a lot of things that can happen. I mean, there, a softer boil, I, I hear this a lot from people because there's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, I want to do some low oxygen stuff, but deoxygenating strike water and whatnot, that's, that's not my gig. No problem. And so they asked me, where do you, where do we go? And I said, well, the first things you want to do is make sure you're underletting and being gentle on the wart. You don't need to, you know, take a, a paint mixer attached to a drill to stir your mash. <laughs> like We've you all know? seen that. We've yeah. definitely all seen that. Yeah. And, and you don't need to boil the snot out of it. A nice, gentle boil. And if you do nothing but those things, those, you know, few things on the hot side, and then, you know, you're, you're conscious of the cold side, you're going to notice a tremendous benefit and increase into the, in the beer, in the beer quality. And so I, I hear it a lot. So it's no surprise to me that, that with the softer boil, you're noticing better because it's about the coagulable nitrogen. It's about the sugar content of the wort. People will tell you that, you know, you can't caramelize wort because caramelization happens above boiling temperatures and there's too much water in the wort to actually do some caramelization. But things happen. There's the, the Maillard reactions and there's the non-enzymatic browning and all that kind of stuff happens when you boil too hard. So you should notice. Well, uh, and, and to me, caramelization is just a lack of water. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, to me, it's like even if you were boiling softly and you were trying to get better caramelization, all you got to do is boil longer. Yep. It's not harder. Uh, so, for example, it, let's say I had uh, I wanted to actually get a, a deeper caramelization. And, 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 and to me, caramelization really adds body and flavor. At least that's that's what I would expect from a, a finished beer is that you're going to get. You know, you might have a beer that might be pretty light in color or a little amber in color, but you're going to get a lot of body from it. Um, yeah. So, but the idea is that for me, that that it, boiling longer is where I would see it making a difference uh, because it's just a lack of water. Yeah. 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 And and so, 
Um, you know, usually it, and it depends on the, you know, the sugar content of the wart too, mm -hmm. you know, higher gravity wart, you're going to have more sugar. So, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, uh, a softer boil and gentler on that wart, I think anyone is going to notice a, a, a benefit to that. That, that. That's awesome. Well, now that we're about 30 minutes into this, I, I want to talk to you about your home brewery because uh, it, I, I've been following you on social media for a while. And I got to admit, like, uh, whenever I see, A, you do a lot of posts of, like, I'm drinking this beer. And I, every time you post a picture of a beer, I'm like, man, that beer looks amazing. Like, you, you seriously have probably the clearest beer at a homebrew scale I've ever seen. Uh, and and that's, that's not me just fawning over your beer. It really is. is that it's, a, it's, it's something that, like, if you guys go follow Low Oxygen Brewing on Instagram, and you will see pictures of like brewery quality crystal clear loggers like you cannot see anywhere else um but you also take a lot of uh, tours of your brewery as part of it and every time i i talk to somebody about kind of what you do because I, I i do talk uh, about the low to oxygen method to people i i say things like look at this guy's brewery this is somebody who takes this obviously serious to the next level, but the idea is that uh, uh, your brewery is pretty much automated all the way from beginning to end, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so could, could you give me a walkthrough of like, if you were brewing a batch, like, uh, like what, what, what you, like what that process looks like? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, uh, I want to say that, Obviously, you don't need a brewery like mine to make good beer or beer or whatever. Um, I am a, a hobbyaholic, I guess. And so <laughs> all my hobbies, I really like I love to smoke meat. I love to hunt. I love to and all my hobbies are stupid like this, too. So um, your but, wife says you hobby hard, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm the <Exactly>. same way. <laughs> but you know, so so my I have an engineering background. I really love process and automation. I don't do that for a job. I don't do process and automation for a job. But it's one of those things that are my hobby, and I love it. I love it so much. And so when I set out to build my brewery, um. I always said I wanted a, 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 a professional mini German brewery in my basement. So that was my goal. And so, um, you know, I reached out to Stout Tanks to have them build my kettle specifically for me, to build them to spec. They hold pressure. They have cone bottoms. They have, and they're 100%. If you were to take, like, the brewery at Weinstefan or Einger in Germany and make it in a, a, a 20 gallon system, that's what it would be. And so, so that was my goal. So with that, um, I, I am a bad brewer. So as much as I can get out of the process, the better the product is. So that was another one of my goals. I like to be able to multitask and I don't have a super long attention span. <laughs> so brewing six hours of me sitting staring at something is disastrous and something would always go wrong so i built the system to be able to produce uh, and repeat 
and be consistent. So with that said, it's a 20 gallon system and um, each vessel is sealed and runs clean in place. All the tubing is 100% uh, stainless steel hard piped. Each vessel has uh, in-process pH probe, in-process DO probe, and a headspace DO probe. So that's in each vessel. Um, the, um, so the boil kettle is right, right over here, and it's got an automated hot dispenser. And so then I load my hops the, the day of brewing or the day before, and then they'll auto dispense. The mash tun is all sealed and all that, and it's got a, a mash stir. Um, each vessel, the boil kettle and the mash tun have what are called uh, Coriolis mass flow meters. And those Coriolis mass flow meters will tell you real-time gravity and flow. So I know my gravity at all times during the mash in, in SG. Wow. Yep. And in the boil. So there's no guesses there. I have a digital display that tells me all those gravities. Uh, on your mash stir, I have a quick question on that. Uh, mm -hmm. Does that allow you to do things like uh, cook your wort for like uh, decoctions and things like that as well? I do not have, uh, my brewery is not decoction enabled. Okay. Yeah. No. Nope. Um, but I do, I do. If we back up. Yeah. So, well, well, we can talk about that. So I have a mill, uh, SS Brutech mill that I put on load cells. And how I fill my grain is the mill itself is the scale. And so let me back up even further. I'll create a recipe and I actually, my partner and I at Low Oxygen have designed our own brewing software. So, but let's just call it, we'll just say Beersmith. I, let's, you just create a recipe in Beersmith and you export the beer XML. Okay. That XML goes right into the controller and of the brew system. So it knows all volumes, temperatures, everything there is to know about that brew day. It's imported instantly into the, into the brewing system. And so from there, it knows exactly how much of what grain needs to go in the mill. And so I, I, that is one of the hand, hands-on processes in my brewery is I actually load the grain into the mill and the mill itself is on load cells, so it's a scale. So when that load cell or when that mill hits the weight it should be for the, the grains, it starts to auto mill and then uses a venturi to push the grain into the mash tun. And then the, the whole point of the stir is to once dote in and the mash tun will stir and that can all be done in a sealed vessel. So I never have to crack the vessel once I start brewing. Wow, that's awesome. Yep, and so the vessels are all purged. They're all purged down to about less than 100 ppb of oxygen. So then the, it's milled in and then it's repurged the grain and then it's doed in with the zero DO, zero DO water, and then it's stirred, and so everything can all be homogenized and good. Wow, that that's a that's a pretty a the load cell thing is super cool. Uh, 
I've I've got a guy I'm working with in my uh, in my Discord server right now. He's one of my patrons, actually. Uh, he's actually in the process of uh, trying to build a uh, kind of his own, like you, the the Play-Doh keg, right? You've you've seen those where that's the you put it in your kegerator and it tells you how much beer is in your kegerator, right? Uh, what he's trying to solve for is actually the ability to use lo- load cells to take the entire kegerator and tell you how much beer is in each keg versus uh, just trying to do a single disc on each one. Uh, And so it's kind of been a, it's been a fun conversation watching him go through the different aspects of that project. And I'm like, yeah, how are you going to do it in a wet environment and keep things sealed? Right. Cause uh, the second those load cells get wet, what are you going to do? Right. So, but it's, it's, it's those kind of uh, DIY projects and thinking about processes that, that I'm, super motivated by in my brewing as well. And uh, it's just cool to hear how you've really turned it into like almost a finished product at this point. It's very like machined out and uh, like, and if you're watching the video, you saw this, but if you're listening to this as a podcast, um, go back into your Patreon account and check out the video uh, because you, you'll see that the he, he's right. This brewery does look exactly like what you would imagine a lager brewery looks like is like a mini version. And it's pretty cool. Tell me a bit about your controller. Uh, that controller is, is that completely designed by you? Is it, uh, you know, how, how did you uh, come up with that design? Yeah. So I was looking at different automation controls and I was going to go with a full PLC, which is, you know, your standard industrial controllers. Um, They allow you to do pretty much anything you'd ever want. And since they're industrial, you know, they're ruggedized and they work well, they work really well for brewing operations. And, and I knew what I wanted to, to set out and do. So I needed a controller that, would give me the ability to do basically anything. Well, there was nothing like that on the market, especially nothing like that on the homebrew market. No. And homebrew market, you're getting a PID. That's pretty much it. And and maybe some software on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, so I tried craft beer pie, and that just didn't do what I wanted it to do. I tried uh, Brew Troller, which is now out of business. I ran that actually for a while before I had this brewery. Um, and I like that. It gave me some flexibility, but, um, I actually met up with this guy by the name of Pete Bruno and he's like, Hey, I got a new software coming out. It's called brew control. And, uh, you know, what are you looking to do for your brewery and and whatnot? And I said, well, I'm looking to go full PLC because it has the IO that I need and blah, 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 blah. The only problem is I don't, I don't know. I don't know the ladder logic that the, that the PLCs use very well. I'm going to have to learn how to script. Um, and he's like, well, if you're starting from zero, take a look at my software. And I said, sure. And so um, he basically created the software, him and, and another guy created the software, which is basically a, a wide open slate. And it uses off the shelf Arduino boards as the brains. So, okay, well, they're cheap, um, you know. Really cheap, like $2 cheap. Yeah. And I was like, so that's cool. They're available, so that's cool. But is, you know, how is it going to work? And so, um, 
long story longer, I ended up going with brew control and I have nothing but fantastic things to say. I, I have yet to be, I have yet to run into a roadblock and I have done literally anything I can think of. And so Pete and the brew control is, is what I used for my controller. And is that open source software? Is it uh, commercial software? Uh, yeah. How is that brought to market? Yeah. So they have a website, brewcontrol.com and you can go there. You can try it for free. There's different licensures. Um, I don't know exactly what the pricing is. There's like a standard license and there's a, an unlimited license. I have the unlimited license. Um, and that allows actually for two-way communication to the device. So it allows me to do my XML and to do all that different kind of stuff so I can get data in and out. And so like every brew day I do is all graphed. Every single device I have puts up a graph on a node red, on node red, on a web page. And I can track any variable in that brew day. And I always overlay, I have a mash one that I overlay mash pH, mash temp, mash DO, mash flow, mash, everything about the mash. And I can just look at it in real time and see everything that went on, you know, what the temperature was at this gravity with this pH. And so I can really hone in and dial in. So, um, you can go download brew control and basically what it is, is it's a blank slate. Literally if you download the software and you start it, you're, it brings you to a blank page and says, you know, have at it. You know, you, there's some examples on how to script and to do that stuff in the, 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 the documentation and whatnot, but, but it's really wide open. Um, and so basically I, uh, I created a back a background image of my brewery, and then I just started adding these elements, which the elements are actual devices over the the overlay, and then I had my interface, and then that's, yeah, that's awesome. And, and and actually, you know, when you look at your controller, it literally is like an image of your brewery in place and what it's doing. Right? It's yep. uh and and. And how many Arduinos are you running in that box? So on my actual controller, I run two Arduinos that do the whole thing. That is really impressive because the Arduino memory is like 24K. It's like really, really small. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I run two Arduino Megas in the, in the brewing controller. And really, I could run them all off of one. But... The Mega has a limitation on the analog side, which is 16 inputs, and I actually needed like 24. So if I didn't need those extra analogs, I could have ran it all off of one Mega. And the Mega is like 12 bucks. Yeah, that, that's that's really impressive because that means their code is really really tight. Yep. Uh, because uh, as you're adding those scripts in there, um, and, and the reason, the only reason I know this is I've 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 used cra- uh, uh, brew pie for fermentation from for years now. I I think my first brew pie build was back in 2014, yep. and the reason why uh, Elko went from the why he went from the Arduino and moved to the uh, the the Spark was because of the limitations of the Arduino and the amount of code he could put into it, um, and the fact that you're running an entire brewery off of really 
uh, a piece of code that can fit on an on a single Arduino and actually run if you had enough inputs, right? Yeah. Is impressive. It says what what that says to me, coming from a tech background, you coming from an engineering background, is that whoever coded that coded that w- like really cleanly, um, because they're they're they are not putting a bunch of crap in there for like GUIs, and they're not putting a bunch of crap in there because they're probably that's probably living somewhere off of the Arduino, right? So. Where yeah. where is the GUI living? So the, the GUI lives on a computer. Okay. And so basically the Arduino is just your element interface. And so yeah. all your 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 software is just polling the Arduino, you know, and you can set the polling time. It's you could go from a half second to 10 seconds. So every let I do half second. Every half second, it just sends out a call over Ethernet, and then it returns the string, call, string, call, string. And so the Arduino is really doing nothing except just putting back the, the, the value it sees. So yeah. It's just running a loop, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the software, which is super lightweight. I mean, you can – I actually started out running the, the, the uh, brew control software on like a little – you, uh, it's like an HDMI stick PC, you know, they're like, it's like a USB stick, but it's really HDMI and it's like a self contained PC. You can get it for like 150 bucks or something on Amazon. And I ran it off that for a long time, but I upgraded because, um, I wanted to multitask with the brewing computer and do some other stuff like 3d rendering and, and stuff like that. So, I, but it's just running on a normal PC that sits, um, in the brewery over here. And yeah, it just, it, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. I, I have nothing but awesome things to say. And, and so like, I have like five or six different interface screens and I don't know if, if, um, if you're going to show this video to your viewers, I could join, um, and share my screen or I could share my screen. I don't know if that's even an option. But yeah. 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 You could share your screen. Absolutely. Right. I'll show you what it looks like. So we can if you just scroll. If you wiggle uh, the mouse at the bottom, you'll see where it says present now. And that's your screen. Cool. Uh, let me open it up. All right. Let's see. All right. Can we see that? I can. Cool. So here's the main interface screen, and every one of these red dots is a electric valve or a pressure valve or some kind of valve. If it's open, it's green. If it's closed, it's red. And so basically my brewery is laid out exactly like this um, in real life. And so you have, you know, my mass flow sensors down here so you can see density and flow. You have pH, you have temperature, DO, uh, volumes, digital volumes here, anything you could ever want to know. And so basically this is just a, I created the background image in, um, Microsoft paint 3d. <laughs> and then, That's awesome. Yeah. And then it's just as simple as like clicking your option here and, you know, putting a background image on and then yeah. you, you just overlay each one of these little eyes is an element or a device, you know, a valve or something. And you just kind of, I just kind of placed them where they need to go. And so like, that's the brewing interface. 
this is the data interface is what I call it. So like whatever beer I'm going to be making, this is where that XML import comes in. Okay. And so we have the name of the beer and all the parameters, uh, you know, volumes, mash rests, uh, hop timings, gravities, just to track, to track Brute. If I'm going to use auto auto pH, I do auto acid dosing and stuff like that. And so I have, I have, uh, you know. And you and you have a real time pH meter, right? So, for example, if, if yep. yeah, so like for example, you add uh, uh, acid to it, you can see what that does to the pH in real time, right? Yep, instantly. Dude, yep. that's insane. That's so yep. insane. Yeah, yeah I'll, I have a script that does it. So, like, so like if I go here, and let's say I want to set a mash pH, I'll click this button. And then I'll say what I want the mash pH to be. And then the script will dose until it gets to 5.2 or wow, whatever pH I, I want to shoot for. Usually. And, and that's using like what, lactic acid or? Actually, I use what's called sauragut, which is acidified wort. Basically, it's the okay. Heitzkevot compliant acid. <laughs> so, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I have a 16-gallon keg of soured wort, and that soured wort with lacto, um, you dose in, and there's a actually a flow sensor. So here's the volume of the reactor. There's uh, 14 gallons, and then it has an actual flow meter, and the system will guess on how much acid it needs to add based on the acid calculations I built in. And so then it uses its flow meter. And then if you look right here, there's uh, solenoids right here for the mash and right here for the boil, where they'll just turn on and dose and keep track of how much it dose based on whatever the pH is. So that, that's awesome. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, you know, I'm your standard home brewer right now. And I feel like, man, I've got a really nice pH meter. And when I'm checking the pH of my mash, uh, it's like, you know, I wait 20 minutes. I take a thing. I have to cool it down. I'm sitting there with buffer solutions, right? It it is literally a pain in the ass and a project to check my pH. And yours is like here, 5.2 done. Yeah. (laughs) That's so awesome. So awesome. It's super cool. Um, so here's the mill side where it will display what malt it wants, what a malt I'm gonna use. And then if this is enabled, um, it will it will show the weight. And so the hopper, I'll just turn it on here. It's gonna say zero. Well, do I have something on it? I might have something on it, but, um, whoops. Just enable this guy here. So that's how much weight is on the, I have a little uh, spray bottle hanging on the lip of the thing. So that's how much weight is on the, on wow. in the, in the that's super right. sensitive too. I mean, it's just yeah. like on the outside of it, it's like registering. Yep. Yeah. And so once this weight is hit right here, once these two match, then the mill will start auto milling and then push the grain over into the mash tub. Wow. So that's that. And then the fermentation side, um, much I, I created all my f- different fermenters in um, Paint 3D. And, and these are your stout tanks, right? These are. St- oh, I have two stouts. I have two stout um, 
conicals, uh, half barrel conicals, and then I have a SS Brutec unitank and then a brew bucket. And they all have tilts in them and the software brew control allows for tilt integration. So this is actually, you know, they all have tilts and so I know gravities, I know exactly when it's time to spoon. Um, my ox I have an oxygenation loop where once I go to the fermenter, it, there's a DO sensor and a pH and all that stuff. And um, will auto oxygenate to proper oxygen levels and, and do all that. This controls all the glycol, all the different things. And, and, uh, and, so you do have a glycol system that you're using to chill your fermenters. And is that also like, for example, uh, your serving system, is that you, is that also cooled by your glycol? Like what? No, no. I have a, a, a keezer. Oh, you have I, a keezer like everybody else. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> this works so easy. They, they do work well, don't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but you, so you've got a keyser with like, uh, with bow lock and pit or pin lock kegs and yep. like a standard one. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. And then the, the last real big one is the spooning, the spooning cellar. So once the beer gets racked over to the, from the fermenter. So for instance, today I just racked over. That's why this fermenter is still has wart in it. Um, I racked over, uh, this beer, which it's called speckled heifer, but it's really a Kolsch. And so uh, based on the temperature, which this is at 68 degrees, it'll auto sense the set pressure. And this is the actual pressure in the keg right now. And if this gets above this, then the PRV will blip and hold the consistent carbonation. So that's how my spooning works. It's all automated and controlled with digital pressure sensors and PRV valves. And so it will automatically open the PRV to maintain the set pressure, which for 2.5 volumes at 68 degrees is 27.91 PSI. That's awesome. So the idea here is that uh, when you want to, uh, because you're taking beer that essentially is a few points below gravity, right? You're moving it over to that, uh, to, to the, to be basically uh, in a keg getting ready to be served and you're carbonating it not just naturally you're you're really carbonating it in a way that's like hey uh this beer uh, what like for example i have a, a guy in my club who who cruisins all of his beers and you're essentially doing the same thing um but you're you're actually doing it at perfect temp like perfect pressure because it's all managed yep yep yeah yeah and, and like this is auto on the fly so like if i wanted 2.3 balls of carb yep my set pressure is lower and it will blow off lower to maintain 2.3 balls. That's awesome. Wow. So, yeah. So for this one, I happen to be shooting for two five, which is 27.77 based on this temperature. It just, it's basically got a digital carbonation scale loaded into it via my scripting. And so, you know, just like you would normally force carbonate at X pressure and X temperature will get you this balls. It's just backwards. So I do, uh, I've set my volume and then that bases it off of pressure and temperature. So, so I have my digital gauge, which is a circle gauge. I have my normal digital gauge and then it will just, uh, if this happens to go above, this PRV will blip green and there's a needle valve connected to the backside. So um, 
when that opens, it's just a slow release, so you can get fantastic carbonation. And like I said, I just put this in the in the spoonding today, this morning, and so here's our pressure. This is a graph. So here's our pressure increase from today so far. It happens really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're already at 18 psi in like half a day. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas like if I were bottling, right, or uh, let's say I let it finish all the way and then I went and added sugar to it to, you know, obviously do it that way, it's going to still give me that two weeks because I got to wait for fermentation to start again, essentially. Yeah. So the cool thing with the spooning is that you're still in and kind of it's waning, but you're still in active fermentation. Yeah. And so that racking and that rousing of the yeast you know, it's like, oh, all right, we're ready to go again. You know, we were getting sluggish, but now you moved us and now we're we're moving again instead of, you know, waiting till fermentation has ceased, the bulk of the yeast have dropped out and then you add sugar or something like that. And then you have to wait for those yeast to be like, oh, sugar, I got to wake back up. I got to start eating. And that's why there's that two week process where, where we're spooning like this beer, this beer I have no problems turning over beer in three to four days. And that's from brewing. Like if it's an ale, like um, let's say a, a standard gravity pale ale, I can, I can have that beer in the lagering freezer, or, you know, cooling down in four days. That's from brew day to complete fermentation to full carbonation in four days. Wow. And even my lagers, even my lagers, it's seven days fully carved in the lagering chamber. So it's it's usually five days to if it's a lager, it's usually five days to spoon and then another day to day and a half of of uh spooning. And then you're at pressure, you're at final gravity, and then it goes right into lagering. So yeah. And then and then it's just sitting there cold conditioning and cleaning up and just getting beautiful, right? Yep. Yep. That's awesome, man. Th- this is super impressive. Well, Brian, thank you for the walkthrough of your brewery. Thank you for talking about the, the low oxygen brewing method. Uh, this is, you know, uh, to be honest, I feel like I just got a personal tour of like the coolest home brewery out there. So, uh, thank you so much for doing that. Um, And uh, if I were, you know, obviously listening to this right now as a podcast or watching this video, um, how how do I interact with uh, your community and interact with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on all the social medias, um, Low Oxygen Brewing. Uh, I have a website, lowoxygenbrewing.com, which has a paper about, you know, implementation methods and procedures about low oxygen. There's a blog there. The blog is used uh, usually for really scientific e-posts. Um, so there's always content there that is, you know, cutting edge. We just had, uh, I just pulled, published an article yesterday. Uh, uh, I saw that, actually. I saw that. Yeah. PhD student from VLB Berlin, which is a very prestigious brewing school, wanted to guess right on the blog. And he wrote up uh, like a low oxygen kind of paper um, on how homebrewers you know, where to look and how to implement. So there's always that. And uh, yeah, you can find me on social media or on the website or, or wherever. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on uh, and doing the Brewers Roundtable this month. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest, uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, you uh, being now 
uh, doing this for me a second time. And, uh, you know, if, if there's anything you need from me or ever want me to do anything on, on your side, please let me know. I'd be glad to uh, interact with you and your community. Sure. Well, awesome. Well, I have a great time. I love to talk about beer. I love beer. So same here. I, I dude, I could talk about beer all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Brian. Once again, I'd like to thank Brian for taking the time to come and do this bonus episode for all of you and to be on the monthly homebrewers roundtable. It's really a great conversation we had. And to be honest, uh, for anyone who didn't come to the event, you kind of missed out. It was a really great conversation. Well, we'll see you next month for your bonus episode. And I just want to thank all of my patrons once again for being a supporter of homebrewing DIY. See ya.